It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right, away, back, goal! Go hey! It's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judging blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Well, welcome to another edition of A's Cast Live. Chris Townsend with you here from the studios at NBC in San Francisco as the Athletics are starting a road trip against the Chicago White Sox. It's three against the Sox, then a day off on Monday, and then to Anaheim, and then another day off. So the A's are going to be getting some rest uh, what do we got coming up here today? The great Joe Rudy is going to be here at 2.30. Of course, he's being honored as an A's Hall of Famer. He'll be here at 2.30. Mark Kotze, the Mark Kotze Show, it's a Friday, will be at 3 o'clock. And then today, over on NBC Sports California, I will be a part of the uh, pre- and post-game show, A's pre-game live and A's post-game live. And I'll be doing it today with another A's Hall of Famer, the great Dave Stewart, he's going to join us right here. So if you're listening, athletics.com slash A's cast, you can also see us on Twitter at, at athleticscast24 or on the Athletics YouTube page. You'll be able to see Joe Rudy and also Dave Stewart with me here in the studios. Fantastic. Love being here. Great accommodations. They always take care of us, and we thank Dave Bernstein and his staff for making it happen when I'm going to do a little TV away from the radio today. But uh, we'll be here with you for the next couple hours getting you ready for A's baseball. On this date, we're going to start the show with this because what's cool about being in these studios is that we've got all these TVs around. It just popped up on MLB Network. On this date... Ricky Henderson with the Oakland Athletics, July 29th, 1989, stole five bases without the aid of a base hit, leading to one of the most fascinating stat lines you will ever see. 33 years ago today, zero plate appearances, four runs, four walks, five stolen bases. Let me repeat that. Zero plate appearances. So that's zero hits, 
zero at-bats. Two zeros. Zero dash zero. Four runs, four walks, five stolen bases. <laughs> the only player, since everybody's talking about Shohei Otani now, when you're talking about the only player in baseball history, you know, we hear that uh, on a daily basis with Shohei. Ricky Henderson was a guy that did stuff that only one man has ever done in the history of the game. And today is a great example of that. Wanted to lead out the show. You know, we talk so much about Juan Soto. And obviously Juan Soto, an incredible story of where he is in his career, right? He's 23 years old. He's already won a World Series. He's He, he, he is a guy that has so much of, of a career left in front of him. And because he got to the big league so early, that means you get to free agency early. And no one's going to want to do multiple contracts. You're going to want to do one contract. Let's get this. Let's get this. Let's get this decided. And let's get it done, right? Nats go out. The Nationals offer him a huge deal. He turns it down, and everybody's like, whoa, you turned down $440 million. I don't care how many years it's for. Whether you talk 10 years, 8 years, whatever it is. I mean, you're talking over $400 million. Guaranteed. We're now seeing with Mike Trout. Has a back problem. He's got, an, he's got whatever's left on the deal, but it's $435 million. He's getting every penny of that. Now, the Angels is something, if the back continues to get bad, hopefully it doesn't. I mean, he's one of the great talents of all time. The, these contracts are insured, okay? So don't feel bad for these teams. Contracts are insured. But Trout's getting his money. Whether it's 10 years, everybody gets so worried about what's the annual, what are you getting paid? What, what does it matter? You're getting $400-plus million. This is beyond generational wealth. I mean, this is this is this is wealth of athletes we we couldn't even ever imagine. I still remember when Nolan Ryan was the first million dollar a year guy. I remember in the late '80s, early '90s, where guys, oh, he got three million a year, he got four million in a year. We were flipping out then. You're now talking guaranteed money of over four hundred. We were just tripping out when it was three hundred million. You're going to get Mookie Betts, what, Fernando Tatis Jr., what? By the way, how's that Fernando Tatis Jr. contract looking so far? I mean, crazy, right? Crazy. And now we're talking $500 million. Well, news is coming out that you're going to see the Nats go one last try at it. Good for them. They're going to give them one last try. I don't know if it's more money, less years. More years, more money. I don't know what they're going to offer. We'll, we'll, we'll get the rumor, and we'll see whether whether Juan Soto takes it or not. But he's been bumped off the front page. you got to go into the second. Remember the newspaper, folks? He's been bumped off the front page. It's now the Angels floating Shohei Otani. Just floating it out there, and... The commander to my right here, as we were driving up to San Francisco today, I said, this reminds me of that someone comes into your neighborhood, 
They spend X amount of money on a house. They tear it down. Then they build this massive, gorgeous, all-brand-new house. And what they do is they put the sign up. doesn't say sale. Doesn't say, it just says coming soon, right? It's right there on the lawn. You walk by it. Everybody walks their dog by it. And all of a sudden, they put this big, mon- this big monster house behind me is coming soon. doesn't say when. just says coming soon. And then what happens? Well, the machine starts get going, right? Real estate agents, everybody starts checking in, looking at it online. Everybody starts sniffing around, starts making calls. Never says it's for sale or when it's for sale. Just says coming soon. That's it. It's coming. You got to know it's coming. It's going to be it's going to be on the market at some point when we don't know. That's what they're doing with Sho- Shohei Otani. Throw the trial balloons up. That's all they're doing. And it's fa- if Juan Soto was the most fascinating, as we said last Friday. No, it would have been. When was the last time we were on? Wednesday? Tuesday. Tuesday, yes. Uh, at the Coliseum. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't I ask Vince Catronio, who I think when you talk overall knowledge of the game for a play-by-play guy, Vince, you know, a lot of us, you're so focused on your team. Vince does a great job focusing on everybody. I asked Vince, didn't I on Tuesday, like, isn't he the most fascinating young potential trade piece we've ever seen? Yeah, and I mean, I for sure think he is. It's not even close. Yeah, but you're a kid. Vince has been around this for a long time. Vince has been in the show for way many more years than you and I have been. You can't can't even go into the 80s about baseball, for God's sake. Well, I mean, I was a year old, or almost a year old when Ricky had the unofficial stat line. I start talking about my 80s and my late 70s, and you go dark on me. So, Vince, and, and, you know, so Otani is a free agent after next year. Soto is a free agent after two years. Correct. So you would get him for this year and then two arbitration okay. years. So Soto was the most fascinating. And Soto may still be the most fascinating from a standpoint of just baseball. And this is where, and I said this also to Cody on the way up, this is why one of the reasons why this show works is because we don't think alike. I asked Cody. I said, Cody, if you had to trade for Otani or Juan Soto, who is essentially a bigger deal for an organization? And your answer was? Shohei Otani. Why? Because if you're a team like the Cardinals, for example, that need a frontline starting pitcher because you're – Ace Jack Flaherty is hurt, and you got Wayne Wright and and Miles Michaelis. Michaelis, sorry, he fits the bill of the hole in your starting pitching, and he's a great hitter. So you get two for one. Where Soto's just a hitter, and you already have a pretty good offense with Arnado and Goldschmidt and Tyler O'Neill, who's back. Harrison Bader's out for a couple more weeks, but you already have offense. You need a starting pitcher, and he gets you a chance to make a run for the postseason and win your division in the NL Central. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't debate any of that. Was that my answer? No. Nope. Because I'm not your your regular stat de- geek. No offense. <laughs> Shohei Otani is the biggest business that there is in Major League Baseball. He is huge 
business for an organization. He is put him up there right now. Can't put Tiger Woods up there now. Tiger doesn't play anymore. But you look at a guy like LeBron James, you look at Shohei Otani, it's the amount of money that a guy can generate for your entire organization with a lot of that coming from overseas money. Now, I want you to think about that. See, Cody is a fancy baseball player, and all of a sudden he's trying to figure out, how's this, where you're going to win? And then, Yeah, all that's true. And that's Juan Soto, too. Juan Soto is a force. I don't know how Juan Soto became the best player in our game. I heard that twice today. He's the best player in our game. I go, the best player? Like, the best player? I disagree, but. The, the, the player? I mean, he's the best player. He's, people are calling him the best player. I'm like, wait, because he walks a lot? Yeah. Very valuable. Can he hit? Very valuable. He's the best all-around player? No, that, that still belongs to Mike Trout, but bad back or not. <laughs> Trout, but the bats. I mean, there's multiple guys that do a lot of different things Judge. that are better. Aaron Judge, another walk-off. I, I, I mean, how many times has this guy got to do it? So, slow down on Soto's the best player right now in the game. Uh, he's going to be one of the best players. He's just 23 years old. I get all that. He makes me no money. I'm in San Francisco, California. I can walk down the street with Juan Soto, and not one person's going to know who the hell this guy is. Juan Soto comes to town. I don't care what team he's on. He's not packing the stands. The amount, the millions and millions of dollars that the Angels make off Japanese money is amazing. This is a whole different cat. It's like the NBA guys, like our own Steph Curry. Klay Thompson had his shoe deal in China. The amount of money, Rakuten is the sponsor, right, of the Warriors, or was? Yeah, it's still Rakuten. And aren't they, aren't, isn't that Chinese? Uh, correct. Yes. Or an affiliation with? Yeah, no, they're, they're, it's a Chinese company. Hey, what's his name? The old GM of the the Rockets when he talked bad about uh, uh, that's that's my favorite NBA GM. That'd be the great Daryl Morey, president of basketball operations for the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers. And he was talking about Hong Kong, right? Hong Kong, yeah. All right, he makes the thing, and next thing you know, the NBA. Oh, they're sorry, they're Japanese, huh? Rakuten's a Japanese. They're Japanese. Company. Yeah, I, I wanted to double check. Based out of Tokyo. Then I kind of wrong on that, but you know where I'm going with it. The con, the, the amount of money that the NBA makes off China. It's really dicey because when you do business with China, there's things that come with it. And when Daryl Morey came out and said that about China, the NBA, they weren't worried about politics. They weren't about humanity. They didn't want to screw up. And China immediately warned them, hey, we'll stop airing games. We'll start pulling this guy. And that's dollar signs to the NBA. You'll never hear LeBron James say any. I'm not getting political. I'm just this. You could this is all factual. You can you can watch YouTube interviews of what these men say. LeBron James will criticize all kinds of stuff in the United States of America. He will not criticize anything in China because that's big money to him. So there's a lot of money to be made overseas. The NBA makes money. China, Europe, they make all kinds of money all over. That's what Shohei Otani is. Shohei Otani fills your ballpark. 
He fills your ballpark when he hits. He fills your ballpark when he pitches. He is, he's a money-generating machine in this country and overseas. And last time I checked, what are we in? We're in the entertainment business. Okay? We're in the entertainment business. My job as an organization is to entertain you, and I make money doing it. Are you crazy you're going to give up this cash cow? This guy is the biggest cash cow maybe we have seen for an organization since Bonds, McGuire, Sosa, and then going all the way back to the guy who was the ultimate cash cow, Babe Ruth. How many guys, how, or like they play, and you could, I mean, you get DiMaggio, probably Mantle, but how many guys that when they play, people, it doesn't matter the amount of money. People want to see it. And, it, and, 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 you know, as great as Trout is, Trout's not that guy. There's nobody in baseball. There's really nobody in sports, right? I think Tom Brady kind of elevated to that level, but people go to the – I could be playing quarterback, and Cody could be playing quarterback on the other team, and people are showing up. So, I mean, I don't know if there's a football player that packs the stands. Would you say there's a football player who – I mean, people are showing up no matter who plays. Yeah, I think – I mean, I they're think, selling out Cleveland Brown games, for God's sake. I think the only guy in the NFL you could say that about is probably Patrick Mahomes. No. I mean, if you're looking at a guy that – anyone. I mean, I agree with you about Brady. I think Brady was the guy. Peyton Manning, but no one in the NFL right now, most uh, Patrick likely. Mahomes is not must-see TV in every town he goes to. I think he's great. He's incredible, but I don't – you think he's a star? In the NFL, he's a star for sure. Compared to Tom Brady? I mean – He's People gonna, who don't watch football know who Tom Brady. Yeah, yeah. Is. I, I think I think once Brady's gone, I think they're gonna they'll push more Mahomes okay. than, than ever before. Patrick Mahomes has not is not hosted Saturday Night Live. No, Peyton He's Manning not, has. Peyton Manning <laughs> and Tom Brady. You got to you got to get when we're talking. LeBron James is a star. Tiger Woods is a star. People who don't watch their sport know who they are. People who don't watch sports know who they are. I think if you don't watch the NFL, you do not know who Patrick Mahomes is. I think a good guy for baseball. You're mentioning Bonds and you're you're, you're getting over it. Do you think people who don't watch football know Patrick Mahomes? Most likely not. Outside of Kansas City, they might have heard the name, but which is a small market. How how would somebody who doesn't watch sports know who Patrick Mahomes is? Marketing in the NFL does. If you're not, but if you don't watch the NFL, you won't know. You might have heard his name in passing before, but you can't go. He's number fifteen on the Chiefs. That's what I'm saying. Like a lot of, there's probably not a star player like that in the NFL. Like we're, the NBA has with LeBron. We're gonna or, call my wife. This is interesting. Mm-hmm. We're gonna call my wife. I'm gonna prove a <laughs> point here. <clears throat> see, this is the reason why I got out of sports talk. Let's see if she answers. Normally, we would have to tell her we're calling legally. Come on! You don't pick up! It's okay for her to call you during the show, though, right? Yeah, is it, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. She calls me, oh, I didn't realize. I didn't realize. Uh, my point, the reason why I'm calling my wife, I bet my wife has no idea who he is. 
and NFL plays in the background of her house all every, the time. All the time. She I might, watch a lot. You of might NFL. you might get be surprised because of the Chiefs and the Raiders playing. I guarantee she has no idea. I, I'm just more surprised she's not answering the phone. <laughs> yeah. How about that? You call me all the time during the show. Oh, uh, that's twice. All right, we'll have to prove this point later. I'll but. prove it later. Yeah. But that's that's. I I don't know. I I I can listen. We we listened to Sirius XM the whole way up today. Uh, no no one can put a price on it. No one can put. Um, what is it worth? What is he worth? All right, prospects. Well, players, Bob, players who are in the big leagues now who are controllable, what's he worth? Bob Nightingale mentioned this to Buster Olney earlier on his podcast. I, if you want to hear it, uh, check it out. Um, but, Bob, I don't know how accurate these numbers are. These are the numbers Bob threw out to Buster. The Angels would lose somewhere between 20 and $25 million in sponsors, and they have to cut a check because they lost Otani because of all the sponsorships Otani gives them. And he's just speculating. Yeah, we don't know what the actual number I mean, is. There's a big difference between 20 and $30 million, yeah. My, yeah, my yeah. math says $10 million. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about, we're talking about money that an organization makes that they potentially, we don't know what they make. They potentially make the A's payroll off of him, just to put it in our own little world. Like, Dave Stewart's going to be on today. I can't wait to talk to Stu. Like, Stu, what's this guy? Stu's got an idea since he ran the Diamondbacks. You know, you have an idea of what a player. I mean, Soto is worth only to to me. Juan Soto to me, I don't know if I've ever seen him interviewed. Um, I've seen him do stuff like post-game, like, like games in the World Series. Does uh, he have an interpreter? No, he speaks English. Like, I don't. I mean, I. Don't, I mean, I, don't, I haven't seen him do enough, but he was speaking English in the interview. He did. Was it good? Yeah, it was good. I mean, it's not like perfect, but. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, he doesn't have any. This guy is so great. He has no. Does he have any national sponsors? Not that I know of. Like, how are you gonna? How are you gonna? You can't even compare Otani to this. And it's not like Otani's 33 and we're like, ah, he's on his last legs. He's only 28. To me, Otani morphs into the John Smoltz starter to reliever. Now, I mean, he could easily hit and close games. I mean, once you learn to adapt as a reliever, you're 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 ready to go every day. You you uh, give me 10, 12 pitches, I'm ready to go. I mean, you don't sit down there and warm up and do all that. I mean, to me, Otani will morph into a late-inning bullpen guy, and and now, you know, that just allows him to DH full-time, and then he can go down and warm up in the bullpen. I, 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 I really – to me, that's where his value long-term – because his offense, we now know you cannot take him out of the lineup. No, for sure, and he's been pitching so well. Like, I'll give you a couple – But he's never going to give me volume. No, he's 17 starts this year, and we talked about on the way up here. If he makes a start with the next – there's like, what, two, a little over two months left. The last game's October 6th, I believe, for the A's. That's the end of the regular season, and let's uh, – I mean, I'll say right now, the Angels aren't making the postseason. They're 22 and a half games out of first. So I don't think they're going to make the postseason. Well, but and this is one of the reasons why I wonder if they're floating this out, and, and this is something that I've said, is – 
do they view the fact of the inconsistency that has been with him with an injury, having to have a six-man rotation to protect him? All right, here we go, finally. All right. All right, hold on. Are you there? All right, you are live on the air. I'm just asking you a question. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Do you know who Patrick Mahomes is? Nope. Love you. Happy anniversary. Bye. <laughs> See, this is why, even though I brought him from sports radio, this is why I got out of sports radio. Because sports radio people, they don't know business. They don't understand the real world. Their lens is sports. Like, when you talk to a sports radio person, they'll go, hey, did you hear on the show today? Sports radio people really think that everybody in the Bay Area is listening to their show. I know everybody was never listening to my show because I see ratings. I understand <laughs> ratings. See, sports, people, sports radio people, they don't even understand the ratings that they're judged by. They don't understand business. They're, they're just Here's a great example. This guy just tried to sell you Patrick Mahomes was an everyday star. My wife is the number one person advertisers want to get to. She's a middle-aged white woman who shops for everything. She shops for groceries. She shops for all the household stuff. She's the number one buyer. Her, people like her buy more products Amazon wants her. Grocery stores want to advertise to her. She is exactly what everybody wants to advertise to. She's it. A woman in her 40s who spends money. Who who else spends more than her? Not many. I would say my wife because she's you an Amazon You want to retract addiction. that Patrick Mahomes is a star? Uh Kind of, but I'll say I'll give you what you always say to me. She's an outlier. That's only one. Small no, she's not. Small sample size. She's she's reality. There's more women than men in this world. That's a fact. There's she she's exactly. If I go to I I bet you I could go to all my wife's friends who, by the way, all they do is shop and spend <laughs> money and guarantee none of them will know who Patrick Mahomes is. See, I guess it's a difference. My wife knows who Mahomes is, so my wife wouldn't. I, you can't. Well, she's also not. Middle-aged. Well, and I guess she is, but I don't know. Do you count 33 as middle-aged? Nah, not yet. Yeah we're, yeah, we're not there yet. We're we're getting there. Yeah, I'm telling you right now. Like, Steph Curry? Maybe. Yeah, I was going to say maybe. In the Bay Area? Ma- in oh, the Bay, Bay Area, Area for yes. Sure. But around the country? Maybe. Like, Michael Jordan? You, you, to be on this level of, of, uh, of human being, like, everybody in Japan knows who Shohei Otani is. Oh, 100%. Just it's like, a full country behind him. Yeah, just like Ichiro. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I saw Ichiro's last game. I've seen the power of one man in a country. Yeah, Patrick Mahomes ain't there. Do you think Derek Jeter, everyone would know? I'm saying this because the, the the captain's airing on ESPN has actually been very good. They, it's so good they had Michael Jordan on it last night. Okay, put it this way. Derek Jeter, because of his lifestyle, and that he played for the Yankees, and the lifestyle of dating famous people puts you in the realm that my wife would see it. To where Alex Rodriguez, while he was a player, you know, married through a good part of it. You know, Alex Rodriguez got more popular dating J-Lo than he ever did as a baseball player. I was going to say, the J-Lo thing definitely helped. <laughs> now, do you see my point about life? Yeah. You can't look at it. You can't look at life. And I, I know I'm getting off on a total tangent here. But you can't get, you can't. 
you can't judge life through sports guys. You know, sports guys watch sport. I'm, we're sitting here watching MLB Network, right? We have no life. See, I but I understand the business. I, J-Lo made A-Rod. Even though A-Rod's made over $300 million in his career. He's Twice. rich. He's, he's like, <laughs> he's, he's, I think after, boy, how much does he think he's made? Well, his first. Got to remember taxes and everything. Well, let's say his first contract was two fifty two. The next one was two seventy five. So there's. Well, already, he lost like thirty something of that. Yeah, more was, than thirty. I would say that. he made at least four fifty. And to baseball people, yeah, A Rod's a big deal. Wasn't until like my kids wouldn't know who A Rod is until he started dating J Lo. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's when you get into real celebrity. Maybe that's the way to put it. Not star celebrity. Everybody knows who Michael Jordan. You could never watch one basketball game in the United States of America, and people know who Michael Jordan is. According to Baseball Reference, $441 million for A-Rod. Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods is somebody everybody knows, even though you've never watched golf. Yeah, I think any more. Worldwide. Tiger's worldwide. Yeah, Tiger more is what's happened off the course than on, but you're, but you're going to know who he, who he is. Tiger was a wo- worldwide phenomenon, and his commercials ran – that's the thing. Jordan and Tiger, like Jordan Tiger's commercials, ran just not on sports stuff. They were on national television commercials, yeah. so they were everywhere. And that's what sh- – so it's like, who would, who would you rather have? Would you rather have Juan Soto or Shohei Otani? Not based on what they've done. Because that's one thing that I think the biggest mistake that MLB Network was making last night when they were putting up, oh, this is what Otani's done since the start of 2021. That's great, but I, I'm getting him now and for the future, right? Whatever Soto's done, doesn't matter. I'm getting him for the future. What am I going to be paying for once he's my employee? I'm, I don't care what he did as your employee, right? Would you care what someone did for somebody? I got. I yeah. care about what I, I'm going to pay him now. Yeah, I want my return on investment from you when you're with me, not with my R O I. See, I know business. Well, you learned it here. Where, where? Where are uh, where are you going with that? Who would you rather have? Well, I told you, I would still rather have Otani, because he, not if you if you add in the baseball acumen and what he can do on the on the diamond, it's what he can do off generating money for you, sponsorships, revenue, streaming numbers. One of Juan Soto. What am I going to say here? Juan Soto. He's twenty three. World I Series mean, champion already. I mean, legitly could probably play to late thirties. Yeah, I mean, he get, I mean, he already has more uh, walks and hits already this year, and it's probably he's going to walk a lot. He's got he's going to. So gonna, he, you're, you're you're probably going to have to give him another contract. Yeah, but it, it'll be in his late thirties. Well, way, no, if it's a if you give him a ten year deal, you give him a new contract when he's thirty four. Yeah, yeah, because he's going to be a free agent at twenty six. And I didn't throw out the part what also makes Juan Soto so fascinating is that someone could trade for him now, use him up for a year or two, and then flip him again. So he could be he could be flipped once. Or even twice yeah, before sure. he gets that monster contract. By the way, in the in the waiting room, as we call it, the great Joe Rudy. So let's add him to the stream here. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best 
stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Joe, do we have you? You got me. I hope you see. Yeah, we see you. Welcome back to A's Cast Live. How are you? Well, I'm still kicking on the right side of the grass. There, there's no doubt about it. And you know what? One of the things I always love about doing these videos is I love always seeing the hardware behind guys like yourself. You got the World Series trophy. You got the gold gloves. That is awesome. Thank you. Well, very, very blessed life. Let's put it that way. So what's it going to mean to you to go into the A's Hall of Fame? I was flabbergasted when they contacted me about that. You know, Dave called me and told me that they had voted that in, and I was you know, I knew they had just started. There's a whole lot of great players that were, uh, I thought, way ahead of me. I'm not so sure about that because, you know, when you talk about those three straight World Series titles, you talk about that run uh, of the group, 72, 3, 4, 5, you know, that when you guys not only won World Series but were going to the playoffs, uh, 71, um, they talk about you as such a glue, and our guy Ray Fossey used to talk all the time about what you meant to the lineup, what you meant defensively. Uh, just Is this kind of the icing on the cake for you with your career? Absolutely. I mean, this is uh, amazing, really. I mean, I, I look back at my career, and, you know, I was a young guy growing up in a little town called Waterford outside of Modesto, about 20 miles east of there, a little town of 900, and just getting the opportunity to play and, and looking at the coaches I was blessed to have over the years and, of course, getting to to uh, Oakland when we moved there and having Joe DiMaggio teach me how to play the outfield <laughs> and, you know, working with us on hitting. And, I mean, you just – we had guys like Gabby Hartnett and uh, Luke Appling, Hall of Famers, when I first started back in the Kansas City A's days. They were coaches on the team. And, uh, you know, there was no trying. You know, you had to get the job done. You got a guy in second base, nobody out. You better get him to third. There's no excuses that you tried. If you can't do it, you better bunt. So, you know, it was just a, we were brought up the right way, I would call it. You know, when, when Joe D was your coach, and I know, hey, you're a professional athlete, but was there ever a time where you're like, wow, Joe DiMaggio in all white and the white cleats? Was, was that What was that like for you, Joe D being your coach? Well, going during training, at, you know, the first time when he was there at 68 and stuff, I mean, I was scared to talk to him. You know, I'm 20, 21 years old, and, uh, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I'm a, they put me out in the outfield with him. I was afraid to ask a question or say anything, but, you know, he was such a super nice guy. 
And he just put me such, such, you know, re relaxed thing and how he was teaching me the footwork and how to anticipate things, where to have an eye shift to the hitter to look for the ball coming your way and how to get a jump on the ball. I mean, it was, it was nonstop, you know, graduate university type stuff for, uh, that I never even heard of before. You know, I, I signed out of high school as a playing shortstop all those years and then uh, played a little bit of third base for a couple of years before they decided to put me in the outfield. So I had very little experience uh, on playing the outfield. And I, I remember when I first went out there, first major league game, I mean, I think it was in Yankee Stadium that, you know, the hitter looked like an ant. You know, the ballpark was so huge and you're standing out there and you're so used to playing a minor league or, you know, high school fields. It was, <laughs> it was a big adjustment, very big. I can't imagine. I mean, Central California, small town to playing in Yankee State. Well, you know, think about you coming up in Kansas City, just thinking about being in the big leagues, how overwhelming that could have been. Well, it really was. At the time, Alvin Dark was the manager in 1967. And I signed in 64 with a broken hand. I only played maybe 50, 60 games. 65, I got, you know, they had to protect a bunch of us. That was the year they had Catfish and Blue Moon Odom and Renee Latchman, you know, a whole bunch of guys. And uh, so I ended up playing, um, getting claimed by Cleveland. So I played just a part of a year. They, then I went in the Marine Corps, came out, and I only played about 85 games, 90 in A-ball, 1966. You know, I was with the whole, almost the whole team that ended up in the big leagues. With, you know, we had Reggie there and Duncan and Fingers. A lot of those guys, LaRusso was there. And so the, I played eight ball in 1966 to go to spring training in 67, and Alvin Dark takes me north. So I went from eight ball to the big wow. leagues. And that's what I'm saying. I got in that first time going into the big ballparks. And, you know, Kansas City wasn't quite so bad. It was more like a triple-A minor league ballpark at that time. But I just remember our first trip going into some of the big fields like uh, Cleveland and, and – uh, Yankee Stadium, they're just gigantuous uh, stadiums. It was really tough to judge the ball. So going from Kansas City out here to Oakland, when was it for you, did you go, we got something here, we got something really special? Well, it, you know, it, it was sort of different because it was a different era, of course, you know, so we were able to play together, you know, all that, the core of that team started out in rookie ball to A ball, the double A ball. Some of us went to, up and down with triple A a little bit, but most of us went right from double A to the big leagues. And so I started out in triple A in 68 and they called me up early May. Actually, the, the first game I ever played in, in Oakland stadium was the night catfish pitched the perfect game. Mm. That was my first game in Oakland. I've never been in the ballpark. <laughs> my knees are knocking. I'm praying, don't screw this up. You know, mess up his perfect game. And so that was my first game in Oakland. And so, again, you know, each year we saw a little improvement. I think 1970, we, we actually ended up on the positive side of win one and loss record. And we could just see all of us growing. Because we had all come out of that, you know, 17, 18-year-old kids. Now we're getting into our early 20s. And I think in Oakland in 1968, after I got called up, our average on the field age was 22. So we had a really young ball club. Of course, we got our butts beat a lot early on, but we kept getting better and better. 
And you had the right guy, the right taskmaster. I mean, you talk about somebody that, uh, you know, obviously he's in the Hall of Fame, Dick Williams. You, you had the right guy leading the charge. You know, I think really put us to the top. Was we, you know, we had good managers. Johnny McNamara was great. I played for him in AA, and he really gave me my chance to play every day in 1970. Of course, that was uh, the big break for me was Reggie holding out. And after his big year in 69, uh, he held out most of spring training. Johnny Mack came up to me and says, hey, you're my left fielder. It's your job to lose. He said, I'm playing you in every inning of every game of spring training, which I did, uh, to get my, you know, enough experience and time playing and everything else. And uh, so it, it was, you know, going and then they – we're able to bring in uh, Dick Williams, and he was a real taskmaster. You know, you play, you played small ball. There was no, you didn't make mental errors. He didn't, he didn't jump on you if he made a physical error. But you better know where you had to throw the ball, what was happening, how many outs there were, and uh, he was a real stickler. And that's why we, with our team, especially in Oakland, and the way the ballpark was set up at that time, you know, the ball didn't carry. There were very few home runs hit out towards center field. And so we, we would have a lot of two to one, three to two, four to three games that were tight. And, uh, you know, we had a great defensive team and great pitching. You know, just recently doing the interview with Raleigh Fingers and kind of talking about the dismantling of the team. And it just kind of was the start of reality in our sport, right? I mean, you guys were what happened to you now happens every single year. We've been dealing with it for decades. You guys just happened to be the first great team where money really became an issue and free agency. Charlie Finley saw it. Uh, it's sad to say, but it's kind of like after you guys, kind of the way the business of baseball started to go, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, we went through the very first year of free agency. And, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen at the end of the year. We didn't know if they are going to blackball us. Uh, if they were going to change the, you know, the rules and everything. And nobody knew what was going to happen until that fall when all of a sudden teams actually started bidding for our services. Uh, and I think as you look back at the beginning, early part of the year with the contracts going back and forth, Philly could have signed a majority of the team that left for less than each of us got individually. You know, we were asking for like, you know, a three-year contract at 400000 total you know, 133 a year or something like that. And uh, you look at a lot of us were in it, you know, able to get quite a bit more than that in the free agency thing. But, you know, Catfish really set that up when he got declared a free agent, you know, with a career that he'd had up to that point, you know, the 20 game, it was Cy Young, one winner in 74, you know, and he goes from making maybe 100,000 if he was making that to, to a five-year guaranteed contract at 750,000. I think that really opened a lot of people's eyes. And, of course, Messersmith and McNally went through the 75 season without without signing, and then they became, you know, they arbitrarily declared a free agent, and that's where how this whole thing opened up. But I, I really think that Catfish gave them the push to do what they did. Yeah, well, now guys are talking about, well, $400 million contracts. We may be in the realm of $500 million. Boy, do they owe you guys for uh, – being courageous and testing the system. Uh, when you look back, just how tough was it though to leave Oakland? Well, it was it was horrible. We cried. You know, we, we you know we grew up in outside of Modesto. I actually went to high school in Modesto, Downey High there. Uh, 
you know, our families were real close. Uh, you know, we could run home on the weekends and stuff and see our folks and, you know, you know brothers and sisters and all that stuff. And so for us personally, especially, uh, we did not want to leave. Absolutely didn't want to leave. You know, all of us had homes, you know, out there, in, like I said, down in the Walnut Creek, uh, Danville area. And, uh, you know, we all had played together all those years. We're like brothers. And uh, the last thing we wanted to do was split up. And, uh, you know, it was crushing to, to have that happen. Obviously, financially, it was, it was wonderful for all of us to, 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 to go through that. But I think all of us would have given up a lot of that money to stay together and had that team uh, win a few more World Series. Well, going into the A's Hall of Fame, your greatness will always be remembered. And I just wonder for you, at what point in your life did you really sit back and go, wow, we were one of the best in the history of the game. There's only the Yankees and the A's have won three in a row or more. So when was it where you really got a chance to sit back and just go, wow, what we did, spectacular? Well, first of all, I never considered myself a great player. You know, if you're talking about greatness, we're talking about Catfish, Raleigh, Reggie, those kind of guys that had incredible uh, careers. But as a team, you know, when you, you know, you look at what the Angels went through, even when we went down there trying to bring in all those all-star players and, and they never won. And so the, you know, the chemistry and having the right people in the right place and the right management on and on, uh, was what we really relished. You know, I think now if a player looking back on the career, a lot of people don't remember what you hit for batting average, how many home runs you hit. They remember that you were a winner. And for us, you know, being able to win like we did those three in a row, uh, five straight division championships, all that kind of stuff. That's what people remember. You know, I still run into people that remember those days that are that age. And, uh, so, you know, that was what was, you know, fabulous for us. And as I said before, it was a different era where we could keep that group of players together. Okay. Can you imagine having that group in today's world and trying to pay them? No. I can imagine what this show would be like. It would just be all about talking about money every single show. It would just be because, you know, you guys had such confidence. Ray Fossey would always tell me the story about when he first arrived at spring training and Dick Green behind the batting cage went, oh, yeah, regular season's great, but we're going to win the World Series again. I mean, the ultimate confidence that you guys had after winning that first one and you did it without Reggie, you knew that, hey, you guys are coming to spring training to win the World Series. I mean, that's ultimate confidence. Well, it really was. And now, again, we weren't making any money. So the, the, well, those checks that we got for winning the World Series were huge. You know, that was the first time we got, ended up on the plus side. And, uh, you know, I think I hit 309 in 1970. And I had to hold out almost two weeks in the spring training, about 10 days probably in the spring training to go from 12.5 to 20,000. And, uh, you know, it's just a, a different era. That's all it is. And, you know, like I'm, I don't begrudge these guys today. I mean, you know, the careers are short and uh, they've, they've got the same issues we had of, of life. And, you know, it's not what you make, it's what you spend. And so you still got to be careful with the money because, you know, I can look back like in 72, my wife and I thought if we could have any kind of investments where we could make a thousand dollars a month, we'd be set for life. Well, you got to multiply that by quite a bit to make it today. 
And to think all that was happening with the owner running the franchise in Chicago in the Midwest. Like, when you try and tell young fans how things used to go, like Charlie Finley's on a phone running a Major League Baseball team. And let's face it, you got to give him credit because he did bring all of you guys together and you won the championships, and he did it all from Chicago, Illinois. Yeah, we can all blame it on Hammer, right? I mean, he was yeah. the man. <laughs> but he was a cute kid. But, uh, no, I, it's amazing. He did different. We had no front office. You know, we, we just had a, a couple of people up there, and uh, it was amazing that how the thing, you know, stayed together, how it ran, and that we were able to get through a season without, you know, showing up not having a plane or a bus or whatever we needed to get from point A to point Z. I think we spent – you know, half of our life in the Chicago airport because we always flew commercial. We didn't have charters back then. And so uh, it was a, a, whole, a totally different game back then than it is today. Like I said, it continues to change. And uh, I'm happy for these guys today and, and how things are working out. And I think the owners, you know, they're not stupid. They're making money. No, no, no doubt about it. And it's good. Everybody's making money. And right now, uh, the game is doing very well financially. And when I think about coming full circle, right, you, you know, the start of your life, you're a young man, you're winning championships, you're going to all-star games, and then now you're going to be inducted into the A's Hall of Fame, rightfully so. You're one of the great A's of all time. What do you think it's going to be like when you get up in front of that crowd and you give the speech? I just hope I don't start crying because it's going to be an emotional thing when I look back at, you know, what we went through, uh, and how, you know, getting there and, and the team together and stuff. And it, uh, it still breaks my heart to look back and, and have that team, you know, dismantled the way it was because uh, it was a long trip getting to that point and, you know, growing up and becoming confident players. And uh, it's, it's, like I said, it's the cherry on top of the cake. You know, I and let's end on this because it's something that I, I'm going to ask Dave Stewart too because when you give that speech, it's going to be in the same stadium you played on. A lot of times now when guys give speeches, it's in a brand-new stadium. The stadium you won in where all your memories happened is now gone. You're going to step out on that field, and unfortunately you've lost. As you said, these guys are brothers. You've lost a few, including our, our dear friend Ray Fossey. What does that you think going to mean just not emotions just for you when you walk out there that it's going to still be on that field where you made that greatness happen you're not at some new ballpark yeah it's amazing that you know time passes that you know the coliseum was the oldest stadium in, in baseball now when it was brand new when we first moved into it but uh yeah I, i've thought about many times i wish that the players of today could uh have played ball back in that era that we played in that ballpark with the coastal fog coming through the lights at night. and You know, balls hit the left field, ground balls were spinning water off the ball. And uh, I remember asking Ricky Henderson how, how he handled the wet balls, and he looked at me like I was from outer space because by the time, you know, the late 80s when he was there, you know, the, the climate had changed. They didn't have that stuff coming in at night. You didn't have the lights dimming because of the fog or – you know, the wetness out there. And like I said, I can probably count on one hand the number of balls that got hit out in straightaway center field. You couldn't hit the ball out of Oakland in center field. So it's a different world there now. Sportsman, you know, that big monster they put out in center field, that changed the whole complex to some degree. But, you know, the ground is still there. The, the 
stands and the people. It's amazing how many people that when I've been there, you know, from time to time that are still coming that were coming when we played. Yeah. Yeah, because you weren't able to make the 72 celebration earlier this year, correct? Well, we were supposed to, but I was sitting in the Miami airport and one of the American Airlines uh, canceled our flight at the last minute. So they're still on my bad list. And uh, we couldn't, there was no way we couldn't get another flight to get to, get to uh, Oakland. So we got, um, fortunately, my son was there with, and my daughter. Uh, they'd already flown up there. And uh, so he, he represented the, the Rudy family and uh, very happy that he was able to be there. Yeah, we had a Q&A down the right field line that I hosted and so many fans that were there during that time. And, you know, they grew up watching that team. It, it, too bad you weren't able to be there. It was, uh, it was really special because that was really, you know, 72 was the start. And then, of course, 73, 74 greatness there. But uh, just so many, so many tremendous stories around your guys' team. And, and I'm so glad you guys are being celebrated, not only – when we look at the teams with players like yourself, you know, you have your iconic moments, obviously the catch in the 72 World Series, and all of you guys really have at some point an iconic moment. Uh, we always love joking with Foss about Raleigh Fingers jumping into his uh, into his arms after beating the Dodgers in the World Series. So these, these, these moments that we still get to see on MLB Network and we get to see on NBC Sports California are just so special. Thank you for coming on A's Cast Live. A lot of fans probably don't know this, but I'm going to be interviewing you in about eight minutes for television. So I will see you in about uh, in about eight minutes. But it's always great to have your time. You've been so good to us over the years here on A's Cast Live, and we're so happy for you. We can't wait to see you on the day of of uh, getting inducted into the A's Hall of Fame. Well, thanks for having me. It's 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 amazing that to still be remembered 40 years later. So I'm very <laughs> humbled by all that. So thanks again for having me. Take care and be well. God bless. The great Joe Rudy, three-time World Series champion, three-time Gold Glover, three-time All-Star, kind of like Foss, two-time World Series champion, two-time All-Star, two-time Gold Glove winner. Uh, very humble man. What a great – I mean, he had a great career. Uh, I mean, first of all. Great career. It's Rawlings Gold Glove is what Ray would always correct us by saying. But, yeah, he had a great career. Are you correcting Wikipedia? I believe everything I read on the Internet. Well, I mean, I was looking when I was looking at his uh, credentials when I was putting it up for StreamYard and everything, and I saw the three-time All-Star, three-time World Series champion, three-time uh, Rawlings Gold Glove winner. I'm like, so he's just Ray with one more of each is what he – I mean, it's what he did. I mean, those guys were incredible. All those guys from 72 through 74, uh, Raleigh, Vida, um, Sal Bando, the captain, um, a lot of history with those teams. And I'm glad we're inducting some of those, some more of those players in the Hall of Fame this year. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you're talking about the – it's it's one of the greatest baseball teams in a, in a sport that's been played for over 150 years. you got to have something special to win that much. Because remember, that started in 71, then they won 72, 73, 74, still won in 75. And as they always say, we could have kept that thing rolling. It's still, even though they didn't keep it rolling, it truly is one of the great runs. And, you know, how, how important is your team? So there's a lot of World Series teams, obviously. But if you're to tell the true history of baseball, 
Not every World Series team is going to get mentioned. Can you tell the history of baseball without talking about the A's of the early to mid seventies? No, I think you have to. You have to. I mean, they're them and the Yankees. Well, in, in that, in, in, if you're going through the decades, right? In that, in the seventies, it's going to be A's and Reds. That's what it's going to be. Yeah. You know, the the Reds losing in 72 to the A's and coming back winning 75, 76. And even though the Yankees got in there in the uh, late 80s still, well, the Yankees will always get mentioned, but it'll be the Reds and the A's in the 70s. You can't tell the history of baseball without talking about, well, the A's in general because there's so many championships and so many great players and Hall of Famers. But you can't tell the history of baseball without talking about a team that won three straight World Series and was that dominant. Yeah, it's just like the late 80s, too. You can't tell the story of the late 80s baseball without talking about the A's. Even if they didn't win the World Series in 88 and 90, they were still there. And, 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 and by the way, in a sport that was different back then, in, in some ways, I'm not going to say it was always different, but they didn't care necessarily about things that we care about now. Right? Like... It's just win the division, whatever the record was. When you had 93 wins, you got 95. No one's like, you got to get 107 wins, and you got to, you know, you didn't have that. Yeah. You know, once you had a comfortable lead, you just, you know. So looking at records and looking at certain things back then, you know, it's like when Jack Morris would talk about, we talked about it, the Hall of Famer was on this program, A's Cast Live, talking about, you know, back in the day, you go out and give up five runs in the first two innings. They're not pulling you. You're still trying to go eight innings. How they viewed numbers are far different from today. I mean, the way we look at numbers, I mean, my God, it's a completely different deal. Like, we've had to, like, reintroduce, hey, there's value beyond numbers. There's value to a guy playing multiple positions. There's a value to a guy showing up and being healthy every day. There's a value to, to a guy not being a you-know-what in the clubhouse. You know, we've had to we've had to we've had to bring back certain values that mean something to winning teams. It's just not all, hey, what's your weighted runs created plus? You know, you got to be more than that. And to winning baseball. And those guys wasn't always about numbers. Those guys sacrificed numbers to win games. Guys don't want to sacrifice anything today. Why? Because numbers mean cash. Numbers mean money. It's just a reality. Uh, Joe Rudy, career 112 OPS plus. I, baseball reference doesn't have way to run created plus on here, so I can't help you with that. But you're right. It was completely different back then. I mean, the save wasn't really even a big statistic back then. No. And Reggie dropped the best line ever. When you knew Raleigh's coming to the game, you grab your hat and coat and go home because you knew the game was over. You knew the game <laughs> was over. All right, coming up next, we'll talk to the skipper. It's a Friday. Mark Kotze will join us right here on A's Cast Live. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds you tell progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law 
The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than The Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. A's Cast Live continues from the town. Here's Chris Townsend. Well, as you can see, Townie is not here. Um, he's actually taping an interview with Dave Stewart for NBC Sports California's pre pregame live. They're taping with Joe Rudy, who we just had on A's Cast Live. But earlier today, Townie was able to catch up with the skipper, Mark Kotze, ahead of the series versus the White Sox on the south side of Chicago. And it's a good conversation hearing about how he manages the trade deadline, Frankie Montas, uh, the series versus the White Sox. So here's Townie with the A's skipper, Mark Kotze. Time now for the Mark Kotze show here on A's Cast Live and A's Cast brought to you by nestbedding.com. That's nestbedding.com. They got their stores, Nest Bedding, in the Bay Area. Or you go online to nestbedding.com, use the coupon code Oakland, Get 10% off your entire order. Well, Mark, I think you got to be feeling about feeling pretty good about the effort you've been getting from your ball club since the start of the All-Star break. Yeah, you know, we came out of the break, and uh, obviously the break was good for us. I think uh, you guys needed it. They needed uh, just not just the physical rest from it, but from the mental side as well. So, um, you know, coming out of the break uh, on a homestand, <clears throat> that we uh, ended up finishing up pretty well and playing good baseball. I got to tell you, I was buttering you up on uh, radio streaming and on TV where I talked about, hey, listen, the coaching staff said, going to play hard, going to compete, no matter what the record says. And I think not only taking two out of three in Houston, I think the start after the break, the sweep of Houston at home, and the first time Houston's been swept all year long says a lot. I mean, we talk so much about the players, but talk about your staff, how there's been never any give up in your staff. Yeah. You know, we started out the year uh, with that mindset, as you talk about that, we knew, you know, as a coaching staff, we were going to have to coach and teach and be positive and bring energy. And I think all of those attributes have have stuck with us and and are going to continue to stay with us. Um, you know, we know the challenges ahead as a staff and the preparation is always going to be there. It's always been there. This staff, you know, most of which is held over from Bob, uh, Bob Melvin's staff. Um, these guys really work and they work hard. Um, a lot of them have been in our organization as minor league coaches. They've worked their way here to the big leagues. Um, so they've been a part of development. Uh, they know what it takes and, uh, and they continue to show it here at the major league level. Um, the selflessness uh, of the staff and how we work together to get this team, um, you know, to obviously go out and perform at, at its highest level. Is it tough to always stay positive at the big league level when there is a lot of losing? Yeah, no question. I mean, it's tough to stay positive at any level when you're losing. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is everyone wants to win. And, uh, <clears throat> but the biggest thing that we have to, to realize is, you know, 
um, we have to take even through the losses, the small victories and, and make those positive. And, and that's where I think our staff's done a good job, you know, highlighting um, plays or uh, individuals, uh, you know, being um, just, just doing things correctly. And I think once, you know, we move forward um, through this year, I think you'll see, you know, just the baseball getting better. And, and that's our goal as a coaching staff is just to get these guys better as fast as possible. And one of the fun things is as we start getting into the mid season and now we're heading towards, uh, we can now kind of see the finish line is you can play spoiler. Are you starting to see that, that, that your ball club is enjoying that role? Well, I, I think what I'm seeing with the ball club is that they're building their confidence. Um, you know, that, that we went through a tough stretch uh, for two months and, and it wasn't a lot of fun. Um, and through that time frame, you know, the biggest thing that I recognize, Townie, is that the culture inside the locker room never changed. It never got negative. <clears throat> and, uh, and I think that's, that's going to continue forward regardless of, you know, the wins and losses throughout this season. And you talk about the word spoiler, you know, for us as a ball club, we still have to have the optimism we can make a playoff run. And I know that's, you know, really far out there, but it still exists mathematically. So uh, from that standpoint, we want to just focus on winning every series we can, winning as many baseball games and looking up at the end of the year, um, you know, and, and finding out where we where we fall. So, um, you know, for, for my mindset, uh, until we're mathematically out of it, where the word spoiler really doesn't exist. So definitely want to get into the offense because the offense has absolutely been red hot, but we got to talk about, about the trading deadline because this is going to air for a week. So the trading deadline will come and go while this is airing. How do you manage through this situation where all the rumors are flying? Uh, there's probably stuff out there about players that we don't even know about. What's that like guiding the team through this? Well, the biggest thing that, that we have to do as a team is just stay focused on the day. Um, you know, I speak spoke a lot about that through spring training um, when, you know, we made trades that impacted our ball club, that were going to impact other players on the team. You know, really, we can't control what's going to happen over the next five days before August 2nd falls. And, uh, and that's really my message. It's been my message the whole year. Um, you know, you, <clears throat> you are where you're supposed to be. And, and if that means you're here with us through the deadline <clears throat> moving forward, um, you know, you're a part of our ball club. And so really it's, it is a distraction for players. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that they don't think about it, that they don't read it, uh, that it's not on their plate. But my biggest job and goal is that once they walk through that locker room door, it's about the day and it's about preparing to win a game. Well, you said last time you do like to know what's going on. Some people do. Some people don't. You do. I, I mean, obviously, you're not going to talk about specific guys, but do you expect a lot of moves? You know, I, at this point right now, um, I don't expect a lot of moves, but things can change, and, and they can change in, in you know, hours. So, um, you know, right now, I, I would say that the, the group is going to stay together, um, you know, and that's my best guess as of – uh, Friday, what is it, August 29th. So uh, we're still a few days away from that August 2nd date. Um, and, and again, you know, rosters can change, injuries can happen. Um, things of that nature obviously are out of your control. So 
Um, but at this point right now, I, I'm hopeful that uh, the group, the majority of the group stays together. I got to tell you, uh, watching this offense just absolutely explode has been a lot of fun. How has it been for you guys in the dugout? Well, it's been great. You know, um, the energy obviously uh, is there and the excitement of, of, you know, the guys just going up and and performing. Um, You know, some of these guys, the veteran guys are, you know, carrying the offense with some more slug. Uh, We've seen an increase in, in power over the month of July, which has been great and uh, which has helped lead our offense uh, to where it's at and helped us win games. Did you ever think you'd say your biggest slug guy after the all-star break would, would be Tony Kemp? <laughs> well, Tony, I know was frustrated with his first half and uh, determined to, uh, to, you know, turn his year around. Um, and we've seen that in the, in the first, you know, eight games or so after the break. And, and it's a good sign um, we've always known Tony <clears throat> can be that player uh, to to go out and and not necessarily carry an offense, but spark an offense, and uh, it's good to see right now. Well, one guy who's been a leader for many many years, as much as we talk about all the players that used to be here, Chad Pender's been the leader, a big part in this franchise from the minor leagues all the way till now. What does it mean for your ball club when he starts to heat up? Yeah, it's definitely a bonus. You know, Chad, uh, you know, for the most part over his, you know, five plus years here in the A's organization at the major league level has been that guy that's really been a silent leader. He and uh, the, the two Matts had a great relationship. Um, you know, a lot of people from the outside looked at both Matts as leaders, as leaders of the club, but really Chad kept the silent, uh, the silent, leadership role uh keeping those two in line keeping them going in the right direction and uh to have chad at this you know stage of his career um really stepping up and and uh playing a a lot more again against right-handers and having success which uh was something of the past that he didn't get that opportunity to do so really i've been really happy with chad and, and excited for him uh for for him to take advantage of these opportunities you know, it's a question I get on the postgame show all the time when he starts to heat up. And this has been for years. People ask, why doesn't he get the opportunity to play every single day? Now, some guys, if they played every day, they would struggle. Some guys are better when they're in different roles. Why do you think Chad has never been given that opportunity to play every day? Well, some of that exists with the players that we've had, the nucleus and the group and you know, again, we try to assess giving players the best opportunity for su- success each day um, to help this team win. So, you know, from Chad's standpoint, uh, you know, I think there's a balance to it. Obviously, uh, he's had some injury issues that he's dealt with in the past um, that we evaluate. We look at the workload. Um, you know, he's had some lower body injuries that we try to manage and stay away from. Um, and I think we have a good grasp on that this year. Well, one guy that he may be the American League Pitcher of the Month with all the talk about Frankie and the trade deadline and Paul Blackburn going to the All-Star game, Cole Irvin in July has been absolutely money. And uh, we've been talking about it here on A's Cast Live that he potentially could be the Pitcher of the Month. Just talk about what the lefty has meant to your staff. 
Yeah, Cole's really been awesome. Um, and and as you talk about the successes he's had this month in July, the teams he's faced, uh, the innings he's he's been able to pitch, um, the success he's had, uh, it would be a great accomplishment for Cole. And he's really maturing uh, the right way. Uh, his focus, uh, both you know, on on the day he pitches and the the four days that he doesn't. The work he's putting in, the preparation he's putting in before he gets on that mound to pitch uh, has been exceptional this year. And I think that's a big part of his growth, really, and a big part of the success he's having. So really, really happy for Cole and, and hopeful that he gets that award. Uh, like you said, it's it's one that he uh, should be a part of conversation and one that I think he deserves. How much did you, how much did you guys enjoy having Steph Curry around? Steph was great. I uh, haven't met Steph before. But uh, he was he was awesome. He spent quality time with us. Uh, I, I watched him interact with players and even even on field staff uh, just took time. Uh, didn't walk by anyone that that wanted an autograph or a picture. So Steph's a first class individual. Um, he did in our locker room uh, miss three basketball shots into one of our smaller, you know, hoop rims. That's a post game kind of celebratory, uh, fun, you know, part of our culture. So uh, he did get booed in our locker room for missing three shots. So. <laughs> and, 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 did, and did you tell him, hey, buddy, BP starts at a certain time. He can't show up late. Yeah, you know, there was some traffic. So we'll give Steph a little bit of leeway. I, he would have probably swung it a little better had he got, you know, through the whole routine, done his cage routine, started on the tee, but he came out in the yard and, and his first swing was off live BP. So, but I'll tell you this: his bat to ball skill was right there. He only swung and missed once. So, well, and then it's kind of a you know he's a precious commodity. When you're up there pitching to him, uh, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, man, I I, I can't hit his hands, can't hit the forearms. Uh, <laughs> that, that that'd be no bueno. I've been throwing a baseball too long, and I if I wanted to hit his hands or, or hit his rib cage, I could have, but uh, I kept it down and away from him for the most part. Did you uh, did you let him know that you grew up in Southern California and you were a Magic Johnson guy? I did, I did. But uh, Steph's right there; he's on par with Magic. So, um, you know, obviously we had a good day with Steph. Uh, it, it was fun. And let's end on this: just how good is the greatness of Steph Curry being around your players, rubbing off on them? How good is that for your clubhouse? No, it was great. You know, the clubhouse really enjoyed it. Um, guys were excited about having him in there and just uh, getting an opportunity to say hello. Um, you know, I think it, it meant a lot to the guys as well. So we enjoyed the day and it was good to uh, obviously get a victory uh, in front of uh, a thousand plus kids that uh, he and his wife sponsored through the uh, foundation and, uh, and what a great, you know, foundation it is for Steph to, to be a part of. Yeah, it's a really good road trip. You got three in Chicago, a day off, then three in Anaheim. You go back home to Southern California, and then another day off. So uh, have a good week there in Chicago, and do well down in Anaheim, and we'll talk to you next week. All right, sounds good, Tony. Thanks. And that's a skipper, Mark Hotze, earlier today with Chris Townsend. And Mark Hotze mentioned Cole Irvin and what Cole's been able to do this month of July, which he wanted another start in July. But in the month of July, he was 4-1. and one. The A's won four of the five games, obviously, for being 4-1. and one. 34 innings pitched, 19 hits allowed, eight 
runs, seven earned, three walks, 22 strikeouts, one home run allowed. He had a 1.85 ERA in the month of July. And if you look at his numbers, pitching at home, Cole's 4-2 and two with a 1.73 ERA. That's the best home ERA in all of the American League and fourth lowest in all of baseball behind only Zach Wheeler, Sandy Alcantara of the Marlins, and Tony Gonsolin, who finally lost his first game earlier this week for the Dodgers. So Cole's been having a great year, and it's got even better in July for the A's as they try to keep it going with James Caprillion on the mound today against the White Sox and Lance Lynn. The White Sox struggling a good bit on the south side for Tony La Russa. They're third in the AL Central behind the Twins and the Guardians. A lot of injuries for the White Sox. We'll talk about that coming up next with, J- uh, with James Caprillion on the mound, and Dave Stewart will join at 3.30 right here on A's Cast Live. Gone by many names, but none better than The Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's lastdivebar.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. We got MLB Network up right now in the studio here, NBC in San Francisco. Verlander, the second lowest ERA for a pitcher 39 years or older. Of course, the record is, or by this point in the season, they're a lowest ever, I guess you call it a record, uh, Roger Clemens. But this Roger Clemens was on PEDs. Verlander, who I believe is not on PEDs because he would have been tested numerous times, he just has a new arm after getting Tommy John surgery. And to watch Justin Verlander is at 39, scary. 99 miles an hour. You remember the last few years, Verlander had been living at 94, 95, could hump it up to 96. We hadn't seen 99 since Verlander was in the height of his career in Detroit. When Verlander was a phenom, right, coming up, and then he's just, you know, it's what we saw in 12 and 13 in the playoffs, where Verlander could live 95, 96, and towards the end of the game he gets in trouble, bam, he's throwing 99 miles an hour on you. Well, that kind of went away. He was still great. 
really start throwing more slider than ever before because he was normally curveball uh, changeup and developed this slider, and then eventually the arm gave out. That's what happens with humans. Enough wear and tear, tires went flat. But with modern technology and why Tommy John should be in the Hall of Fame. Let's point to the run. Why Tommy John should be in the Hall of Fame. Great example. Tommy John surgery, Verlander's back to pitching. Because think about it. As long as his legs, hips, back, as long as all that is strong and flexible, if you get a if you get the new ulnar, you know, you get the new ligament right around your ulnar nerve here, they take it out of where is your funny bone, that little crevice there, and they take it out. I mean, your arm, as they say, is shoulder's still strong, and now your your elbow's as good as new. Why not can you come back the same guy? As long as everything else in the body is healthy. Wow. Verlander's hitting. We're just watching the highlights. He's hitting 99 again. We hadn't seen 99. Literally, we hadn't probably seen, I'm guessing, six, seven years. Uh, Probably. And now with the new arm at 39. And his average fastball velocity this year is at 95 at 39 years old. That's remarkable. Uh, you mentioned his slider. Opponents are hitting 193 versus it. He has nine, uh, 50. He has the most strikeouts of any pitch on a slider, 57. His curveball is good too. Opponents are hitting a buck 54. So Verlander's breaking breaking balls are great. His fastball is still there. It's always going to be there. Yeah. Now that I'm seeing this, Dave Stewart, by the way, A's Hall of Fame. We just had Joe Rudy, Joe Rudy on. I left this and went did Rudy for TV, and. Uh, what a nice man. I got to talk to him. Yep. We were talking because uh, I he just came on live, so I didn't get to talk to him. So he missed the Hall of – he missed the – we had the 72 team here that we honored them earlier this year. And Joe's son, I want to say his daughter was there. Or it was his son and his uh, wife. I, I remember seeing his son for sure. His son was there for sure. Uh, he was stuck at the airport yeah. in Florida. That's why he didn't show up. Yeah, um, I'm, I don't remember that. I remember him not being there, but I don't remember it was because of a flight. I thought it might have been a health issue or something. No, it was, just it was a, a flight. It was a flight issue. It was a flight, Joe Rudy. I mean, he's in great shape. He, he said uh, one of the reasons why they moved to Florida was he and his wife both play golf every day. A little humid, though, right now, yeah. he said. A little humid. I wonder if him and Burt Blylove play golf every day. <laughs> they like to uh, – the, the Rudys like to get up early in the morning and play. That's what they do. God bless him. He's earned that right. But I really wanted to, I really wanted to put it out there about how these guys grew up in Oakland. Because they really did. Dave Stewart, who grew up in Oakland uh, as a child. He'll be here in two minutes, he said. Or it's different. It's different than you know, these guys who came from Kansas City with the Kansas City uh, Kansas City A's, they come to Oakland. And they all grew up as young men, got married, had kids. Oakland meant so much to them. So I, I, that, that's definitely something I think is going to be so special for Joe Rudy as someone who went through that time. And the fact that you're still giving the speech in the same stadium, the stadium where you have all those great memories. It's not like the A's have moved out of the Coliseum, even though we all want that. He wants that. 
but you get to do it in the place where you made all that history. What did you tease before? You teased Cole Irvin. Oh, I talked about Cole Irvin, but I teased uh, just the, the series versus the White Sox and how how much better Caps been pitching. Well, who are the White a, Sox? Okay. I mean, you gotta you gotta really ask yourself. Forty nine and forty nine, three and a half games out of first. They 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 were the team that everybody said that no doubt that. They were going to the, the Central was a no-brainer, right? Central was a no-brainer. And now you got to ask, you know, who are the White Sox? Who are the Boston Red Sox? Who are the San Francisco Giants? I mean, you're up against it, and when you're a 500 team, are you willing to give up assets to try and fix your team with about 60 games left, right? What, how many games will be left for most people as About 60, yeah. Uh, let me – oh, yeah, by 6, it it'll be probably less than 60 by Tuesday. So 58, 59, yeah. right around that? High well, 50s, yeah. Well, the, the reason why it's tough as someone who does A's games every day, we by far have played the most games. Yeah, we never have any weather issues. We never <laughs> had any cancellations. So it's like every single – so in, in, in the um, – in my book, in the Bible, as we like to call it, I write down which number of game, and every single time we're always four or five games ahead of anybody. So we came out of the gate, no weather issues, and we just never had any days off. So we have always been the leader in the clubhouse in games played. But with you know six, let's just call it sixty games. What are you going to give up to try and fix yourself for a sixty-game sprint? But yet, this is why we added extra playoff teams. We add, we added extra playoff teams to make people go for it, to want people to go for it. Yeah, as I mentioned, White Sox three back in the division, three and a half back in the wild card. Minnesota leading the division by two games over Cleveland. But you're, you're right, more teams are should be incentivized to make a push for it. The idea that the, the Orioles might trade players away – when they're a game over 500, you want to reward the guys. It's gutless. Yeah, I don't. It's, it's, it literally is gutless. And, and it is a slap in the face of baseball and the commissioner. Because what they did was said, all right, we now know. All we got to do is look at the Braves. The Braves in August last year, I don't know the exact date, but there was a time last year where the Braves were under 500. They were the Braves were un, two games under 500, and they won the World Series. And then, you, as we're getting the great Dave Stewart in here, as we'll uh, play a little musical chairs, you think about the Nats, the Nationals in July when they won the World Series. They were well under 500. So baseball added playoffs, and if you got teams that are under – you got teams that are 500 or better, and especially when I look at the Orioles and finally at 50 and 49, what their team's doing, if they sell off, when you got a chance, we know you just got to get in. You get in, you got a chance to win a World Series. Well, today has been a special day because we just had Joe Rudy on, who is going into the A's Hall of Fame, and to my right – and for you listening on A's Cast Live, you can't see it. The great Dave Stewart, A's Hall of Famer, is with me. Stu, how are you? Good to see you. Good to see you, man. 
And I got to thank for you as someone who grew up watching Joe Rudy, Sal Bando, our guy Ray Fossey who's going in. This class is probably pretty special for you as an Ace Hall of Famer and to watch these guys go in. Well, they're special. Uh, and I was a huge fan of Joe Rudy. I'm um, in the A's teams, uh, you know, we can go all the way back to 1968 when they first came here and when they became the championship teams that they were. I mean, it brought a lot of pride to the area. And, you know, I live right down the street, yeah. so I can pretty much ride my bicycle up and I'm I'm here in minutes. So it, it was just a great time to be, you know, in East Oakland and to be an Oakland A's fan. What did that team mean to you guys as a standpoint as a standpoint of putting Oakland on the map as kids? Well, first of all, it's Oakland's first baseball team. Um, and, and you know, the, the number of kids that grew up here in the area. I mean, we can start with uh, Joe Morgan, and we can go to Frank Robinson. We can Veda Pinson. We can take all those names, and the newer names are Ricky Henderson and Dontrell Willis and all those guys. We're all from this area, and in 19... 72, 73, and 74, Oakland's first baseball team, which was a relocation from Kansas City, um, we were all playing in our yards, and we we unfortunately or fortunately left the Giants and became A's fans, and um, rightfully so when you can put together teams that repeatedly win championships, you know, win back-to-back-to-back years. Um, it, it doesn't happen often, and I don't know how many times this happened in Major League history. Yeah, only the A's and the Yankees. Two, there's only two organizations that have won three or more in a row, and it's these two organizations. And you think how long we've played baseball, that tells you a lot. Uh, what a great accomplishment this is. And for me, it's like I was born in 72, so I was alive, but I didn't get to see it. But now having worked around the A's for so many years, I truly understand the greatness. And it's like they didn't – they didn't get their due, but they're like a fine wine. As it gets older, they're they're aging really well, and they're finally really getting their due. As you know, baseball history and historians are looking at this era, going, "Hey, listen, this A's team. You can't tell the history of baseball without talking about the '80s of the early mid '70s." I mean, you have to talk about those teams if if you if you talk about greatness. If you talk, you know, you you talk about, you know. The, the, the greatest teams put together, you have to talk about those teams. Um, you know, Reggie Jackson in the middle of them, they had tremendous, tremendously good pitching staffs um, each and every year. And they can hit, and they brought excitement to the game. They played the game the way the game that was supposed to be played. When the Oakland A's came in town uh, with the white shoes and the green and gold, um, you knew that you had your work cut out. And, and those guys, they, they just refused to be beaten. Well, one of the great things that we love having you on the program is we'll be hosting together A's pre- and post-game live, which is always fun. And uh, as much as, you know, when I was growing up in high school, being a pitcher, you were the man. So you were always one of those guys. I had a poster of you. You're one of those guys that uh, w- uh, uh, from our generation, you, you know, you're one of those players that we always hold in that pedestal. And then just from the A's world, and I think about your career, you know, as a player, as a coach, as an agent – as a GM and soon to be owner, can't wait for all that, and that'll be huge. You basically, you know, we always talk about the NFL Network has a football life. You've had a baseball life, and I want to ask you about the two guys that are so interesting right now. I want you to put your GM hat on. Is you think about 
You got Juan Soto's 23. You got him for the – if you trade for him, you can flip him at any point, but let's just say you're keeping him long term. You can keep him till the end of this year and then two more years. And then now they're floating out Shohei Otani, which is a generational player. He's a huge moneymaker. You think about what he does for you off the field and on the field. What do you think it would be like as an opposing GM to try and acquire one of these guys? Well, it's a nightmare, quite frankly. Um, Both of those players, Otani, I believe, is going to require more than Soto. Um, because Otani is a two-way player, and he's not just a two-way player. He's a two-way all-star player. Cash cow. He's, he's an all-star pitcher. He's an all-star hitter. Um, and he does come into a lineup and come to a team, um, in my opinion, with more impact than Soto. And so because of that, um, you, don't, you, don't have <laughs> you don't have enough players, in my opinion, in your system, good <laughs> players in your system. <laughs> to make that kind of trade, you, you just don't have it. And and I say that also about Soto. You, you just don't have enough good players in your system to make that kind of trade. And so as a general manager, um, without putting your whole system, your whole minor league system at ransom, um, it's a very, very difficult trade to make for either one of those players. It, it, would it be like uh, you go into a restaurant, you have a menu, you got your starters, you got your soups and salads, you got your entrees, you got your desserts. I mean, would you just say pick what you want? Well, what you're going to have to try to do is, uh, I mean, and it's, it, it's, it's, an, it's an exchange. Um, as a general manager, you send them over a list of players that you would be willing to trade. And, and obviously, you're not sending them chump players. You're sending them a good list of players. You're going to have, uh, you're going to have some of your top ten prospects in there. Um, and hopefully you can get a deal done that way. Um, but in, in a trade like this, the, other, the opposition, the Angels, are going to be sending you back your one, your two, your three, your four prospects and – they're going to be asking for a lot. It's it's a if it's a difficult trade to make. I, I can't even imagine um, what what you get back in compensation. Is it a four player trade? Is it a five player trade? In my opinion, you don't have four players that are good enough for Otani. Yeah. You don't have four players that are good enough for Soto. Um, and a lot of times when you have trades like this, it ends up being three-way trades. You you end up doing trades through other organizations to try to get the package that you want to put together. You get another organization's one or two prospects to try to put together a group of one prospects for an Otani or for a Soto. And I know Bob Nightingale said, said today on Friend of the Program with another Friend of the Program, Buster Only, both those guys are very generous with their time and they come on Ace Cast Live. And Bob talked about the money that sponsorship-wise that Otani brings in, 20 to $30 million a year, which I think could even be more because of how big he is in Japan. How much would ownership be looking at, you know, not just what does this guy do as a pitcher, what does this guy do as a hitter, how does he affect us? It's like what he brings into the bottom line for an organization is amazing. Well, I mean, this guy may be an equivalent to – a friend of Fernando Valenzuela um, for me in my period of time. Fernando Valenzuela filled the stadiums, not just in the Dodger Stadium. Um, he filled stadiums at every park he played in. Um, he brought the Mexican market back to Los Angeles. 
uh, with Otani, I mean, you've got all markets. You've got the Asian markets. You've got everybody that, that watches baseball is watching this guy. And my guess would be, and I don't know this, now you're getting international um, you're getting international media, not just the writers, but also television that are that are chiming into this. And there may be money from that, you know, being available to watch him play every day and pitch. So there's a lot that he grabs from. There's a lot of pots that he's got his hands in that are all good for any baseball team that would acquire him. Now, I can tell you, I live Fernando Mania. Growing up in San Diego, an old Jack Murphy Stadium was built for football. It was a football stadium. And Padres would have, well, like 17,000, 15,000. Fernando Valenzuela would pitch, and it was like an NFL game. Mm-hmm. It was like, it was, it was unbelievable. It was like, even if, even like the night before, let's say he pitched on a Saturday, Dodgers would be in town to be yep. 20,000. Next night, 56,000 people to watch. Right. For, it was amazing. That is right. There, you, there, you, there, there was never a game that Fernando pitched that the park didn't sell out wherever he was. He was a tremendous draw. But he was a great performer. This is a guy that could swing the bat. He could pitch. He won his rookie year. He did just about everything that you could do in a rookie season. And it continued on for year after year after year. But once again, in Dodger Stadium and at all ballparks across the country, this guy attracted fans like no other player did in that era in that time. And can still swing it with the with the old uh, sticks. It's oh, still yeah. a tremendous call. He was a great athlete. A lot oh, of people, yeah. y- you looked at he was round, but Fernando was legit. He's a great athlete. You're right. All right. From the ace perspective, Tuesday's coming around the corner. Frankie Montas. I don't know if you throw Paul Blackburn in there. Cole Irvin. Uh, you start looking at position players, guys that could help you versatility-wise. When you look at a Pender, maybe even a Kemp who started to get hot. Sean Murphy's a big call, a catcher at 27 years old. How much action do you think the A's will do before the training deadline? Well, I think that there's probably a lot of asking, um, no doubt about it. I think people are asking about Murphy. I'm not sure that Murphy is a tradable piece right now. Um, Pender is a tradable piece. Uh, he's going to be a free agent. Um, you've got Montas, who, in my opinion, is – one of the top pitchers on the market um, for any team. He, he, he goes into a rotation. He's at the top of your rotation. And when I think about the rest of, of possible trades for the A's, I just don't know that it makes sense um, because they've got a lot of guys that are controllable pieces for a long time that aren't making a lot of money right now. Um, and, and so there may be no reason to do that. And, you know, I, I don't know that you're going to get that good of a return for any of these other pieces. Frankie Montage, the proper time to trade him, and I think that this was planned from, from the beginning of spring training till the point that he is traded, is that they figured his most effective time and the time that they would get the best that they could for him is at the trade deadline, and I believe that they're going to make a killing. Okay, so I was going to ask you, I was going to follow up. If they don't get exactly what they want, do you hold them and wait till next offseason? I don't think that it happens. I think that their best time right is right now. I think that there are enough teams that are contending, um, some teams that are short. Um, when you look at the rotations of, of a lot of these teams, there are some holes in there. I mean, Houston Astros are a team that I, I like their starting rotation. I think that the Yankees aren't too sure about their rotation. The Phillies might be after them. You never know where this could end up. But teams that are a question mark in their rotation – their fourth and fifth guys because Frankie fills in now 
at the top of the rotation that pushes everybody back. He may not be the one, but he might be the two, or he could be the three. And if he's the two, the three goes to four. So he's one of those guys that makes your rotation better. He makes gives you a little bit more length. I think that the time for the A's to move him is now. Yeah, and then you can take one of your better starters for the playoffs and put that guy in the bullpen. And we saw how the Nationals used starters in the bullpen, and that was huge for them in their World Series run. You know, talking about what you have going, I, and I know as big as A's pre- and post-game live is for you, um, you got some big things going in Nashville. If you haven't been following it, New York Times did a big thing on yeah. you. Uh, there's been a lot of national pub. But if you're an A's fan going, what's Dave Stewart been doing these days? <laughs> Uh, we've talked a little bit, you know, we're not doing TV together. We've talked about it. I think it's absolutely fascinating. What you're doing is going to be great for baseball, uh, great for Nashville, great for your career. And you have to be so excited because once, once Oakland and Tampa get situated, here comes Dave Stewart and Nashville. Nashville. We, we have a, we have a, we think that we're positioned really, really well in Nashville for expansion. I mean, as you mentioned, um, the A's have to solve their issues and problems here in Oakland or Las Vegas, wherever that's going to be. Uh, Tampa, I think, is being put in a position where they have to solve their problem in Tampa. Um, we've got two expansion territories, which are Nashville. Um, I should say two of the top expansion locations are Nashville and Las Vegas. Um, I have uh, been a part of a group in Nashville for the last four years. And now that more expansion talk is being being spoken in, in, in the words of baseball, in the words of the commissioner, um, we have become a, a little bit more of a, I think, a front runner in this um, in getting a team in Nashville. And then the other piece of that is that, you know, um, baseball has has said and, and it's been spoken. I've talked to I've, I've spoken to several owners um, and had many conversations at this point with the commissioner. And baseball is ready for black ownership. I'm not talking about 5% ownership, uh, similar to what Jeter had, or 20% with Magic Johnson. And I'm not sure what LeBron James has with Boston, but I'm talking about 51% ownership. And I believe that I can pull this together. Um, I have every reason to believe that I can get it done and will get it done. And, um, you know, we've adopted the name of the Nashville Stars. In Nashville, and people say, well, what is that? Well, Nashville had an old Negro League team that played there, and Negro League teams played in Nashville in the 40s and the 50s. And so this, once again, will be a first for Major League Baseball to take an old Negro League team and apply that to a Major League Baseball team and have that as the name of your baseball organization. So the Nashville Stars is the name that we picked. Um We've got great branding right now. We're we're not even a major league team, but if you look at our at our at our sports memorabilia and the things that we have in our shop, we're selling as good as some of the major league teams are selling. Get the merch out yeah, there. And, you know, on Twitter, we're doing as good. Social media, we're doing as good as some of the major league teams out there. But you know, the big piece of this is it, it's it's a it's a mixed use development. We've teamed up, or we're teaming up right now. We're in, in conversation with TSU, Tennessee State University, one of the old, oldest uh, uh, black uh, colleges, Negro League, uh, Negro colleges. Um, I'm sorry, mixing up my words, but TSU. Um, and so uh, we've teamed up with them. We have 106 acres of land. We're on um, the Cumberland River, which gives us a riverfront stadium. Um we're three and a half miles from where everything is going on. 
SBCUs. I'm sorry, that's what I was thinking about. Um, and, and TSU is one of the oldest, over 100 years. Um, and so we've teamed up with them, um, and we plan to build uh, the development. We're going to do what all of the other baseball stadiums are doing. Baseball will be surrounded by entertainment. Economy will be, be good in this area. will be hotels, retail, housing, the, the, whole, the whole bowl of wax. Um, and we have a great plan for it. And um, right now, every conversation that we've had has been positive in the commissioner's office. Um, and all we need to do now is, A, solve your problems and yeah. Tampa solve yours. And let's move to the next step. Yeah, and if you're ever in Kansas City, I always highly recommend it. The Negro League Museum in Kansas City is second to none. It's a phenomenal museum, and you can learn a lot about the Negro Leagues. Yep, and we are partnered with them, by the way, with the, the Negro League Baseball Museum in Kansas City, Bob Kendrick. Have them on this program multiple yep, times. We are partnered with them, and we plan to do um, a, a museum as well um, as part of our stadium. And the other piece that I didn't tell you about, you and I have talked about, but what's interesting about this facility as well, because we are in Music City, yes, um, which is Nashville, um, we do plan to have an entertainment portion to our stadium as well. So it's not just Major League Baseball, which is going to be a 42,000-seat stadium, and you know why that is. We are celebrating Jackie Robinson. Yeah. Um, but we also have a 25,000-seat uh, venue for entertainment. And so our plan with that is to hopefully do 200 shows a year, do some residencies similar to what you do in Las Vegas, but do it in Nashville with some of the local artists. And people say, well, you see those artists all the time. But believe it or not, you don't. They're traveling and they're doing they're doing their shows on the road. But similar to what Vegas does, you know, if you can pull in a Garth Brooks, for example, or, you know, we already have Darius Rucker as part of our group. We've got Justin Timberlake as part of our group. Kane Brown as part of our group. Luke Combs, who is one of the biggest country and Western singers oh, yeah. right now, is part of our group. If you can get residencies from those guys, then we can also entertain as well as play baseball. Oh, yeah. And then Disney on Ice comes through for five days. And then, you know, it's like it's – it's it's because <laughs> Nashville is basically the – Vegas to the southeast now. Everybody's doing their bachelor parties, their bachelorette parties. It's like the hottest place to go. So, and, and one of the coolest things that I know we've talked about with Tennessee State is you helping rebuild part of the campus. So not only are you coming in going baseball stadium, mm -hmm. you're talking about some type of uh, like an arena type deal. I mean, and then you're going to build all the stuff and, and retail yeah. and condos and hotel and all that. But now you're also going to help rebuild part of the college. And we are. Eddie George is the football coach there. And um, their football program is starting a, in an upward spiral. So we plan to do a, a football stadium for the college. Um, every year they're getting more students that are wanting to go to their college. And so housing is, is, is starting to be a problem. And so we plan to do more residential for the college, performing arts for the college. Um, it's just going to be an overall upgrade on the college, and it's going to put it on the map. Eddie George is doing a great job with the football program. They want to regain their baseball program that they lost years ago. And so we want to be a part of all of that. But believe me, we are – in great gratitude to the college for allowing us the opportunity to, to use that land for something that we think will be great for the North Nashville area in general. North Nashville is just like East Oakland, in my opinion. If you go through North Nashville, you might as well be going through East Oakland. So for me, there is a passion in that as well. Uh, as you know, I wasn't picked to do the development uh, at the Coliseum on the, on the city portion of the land. And so 
you know, to still be able to, to do something great in a community that reminds me of a place that I grew up in is top-notch for me. You know, when when I think about what you guys are trying to do, you know, so many times I'll have people on the postgame show, Joe, just build a stadium. It's like that's not what people want to do now. There's more than just building a stadium. And for you – being able to get the plans together with engineers and architects, how much fun has that been? I mean, you're you're planning your own entertainment world. Well, I mean that, and that is that. That's the key to it all. I mean, you get a hand, you get a hand in it from the ground up, from the bottom to the top, and I don't think that there's anything better than that. I mean, if you've ever built your own home, that might compare to this, but. This is a step bigger than that because baseball has been my life. I've been in baseball for 45 years, 46 years. Um, I've worked, as you said, in every aspect of the game, from coaching to managing to to being a general manager, assistant, minor league. I've done it all. Um, and this, for me, is, is the, the last episode. This is the last page in my book to be able to put together not just a baseball team, but to put together an atmosphere to build culture um, to to help enhance an area, um, I don't think that there's anything bigger than that. Did you ever envision anything like this for your career? You know, I didn't. Um, you know, when I was a kid, I know we used to sit on the front porch of me and a good friend of mine, Warren L. Simpson. We sat on the front porch and we, we envisioned all the great things that we wanted to do here in the Bay Area. And some of them, when I was a player, I was able to accomplish. Um, and then, you know, as your playing career goes on and on, you know, you take things a step at a time at that point. You look at how long are you, how long is your career going to be, but you got to play every year to get to 16 years. And then after 16 years, how do you stay involved? Is it going to be in coaching? Are you going to be in the field? Will you manage? Will you be in the front office? And I chose the path, the front office, and eventually got a chance to coach. Um, and then after all of those years, you know, I, I just thought, I'm not done with the game. Um, but – I don't want to be bossed. I want to be a boss. I want to have the opportunity to have an effect on an organization, on a culture. And we are minority, but we're also diverse. And in that, you know, we get an opportunity to to be a blueprint for all businesses across the country um, to be an example of what your business should look like and how it should be run and how things should look. And that is the piece that motivated me. We're, I mean, we're in a we're in a we're in a time here now um, where it's it's necessary and it's needed. Um, and I want to be a part of that. Um, you know, I don't profess to be a world leader, uh, but I do know growing up here in the Bay Area um, and being involved in all different aspects and all nationalities of people and all walks of life. Um, I think that baseball needs that. But I also think that baseball is not alone. I think that all businesses need that. They need opinions from all walks of life, people that look like you, people that look like me, people that are Fernando Valenzuela. All walks of life need to be involved in baseball, need to be involved in all businesses. They need to be involved in all decisions so that you can make better decisions. Let's end on this. When obviously Nashville is your love right now, but your your first love will always be always Oakland. Always be Oakland. Just how important is it for Oakland to get Howard Terminal and to get this done and to solidify for the rest of our lives the A's in Oakland? Well, when you 
when the Warriors leave, and, and, you know, some people may say the Warriors were in San Francisco first, and then they came to Oakland, and then they went back to San Francisco. That could be the way you look at it. When the Raiders leave, I don't think that the city, and if it's the city council or who, I don't think they understand how important this development will be for the city of Oakland. There's not been a major league facility that's been built in a downtown area that has this vision that hasn't been successful for not just the baseball team, but for the economy. And so if this does not happen, if this team is allowed to leave, I think it's going to take Oakland a long time to recover from this if they recover at all. Yeah, well said. Well, A's Hall of Famer, always great to have you on the program. And uh, you and I doing uh, A's pregame live on NBC Sports California in about a half hour. Coming up soon. Hey, and the A's are hot right now. Just swept the Astros. They're playing real good, but we're in the next series now, so let's, let's, let's start from day one. <laughs> are we done, Cody? All right, that is going to do it for A's Cast Live, a Friday edition. Thank you, everybody. We want to thank Joe Rudy, new A's Hall of Famer. We want to thank the skipper, Mark Kotze, for stopping by. And this guy right here, another A's Hall of Famer, truly one of the great Oakland A's of all time, Dave Stewart. We'll be back on Tuesday. What time are we back on Tuesday, 4 o'clock? We'll be back on Tuesday at 4 o'clock. We're going to throw it to A's Total Access, brought to you by Chevron, next, right here on A's Cast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than The Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.